There are many wonderful people adding to the positive outlook of a backcountry and hunting lifestyle. Our goal is to join them in promoting that outlook. Welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast, where we share stories, tips, and tactics of our outdoor pursuits. Good morning and welcome to the Backcountry Dreaming Podcast. Whether you're returning or first-timer, thanks for listening in. Uh, well, I say morning because it's morning for us. We, uh, we're trying something a little different this time with our schedules, with Christmas, New Year, family, parties, all that stuff going on happy that New I'm sure year, you everyone. guys <laughs> just enjoyed. Yeah, Happy New Year. Um, we Our schedules didn't cooperate, so we're actually a week behind on releasing, but... Uh, we were able to get together this morning, and Chad, you and I struggle from the same thing. We can wake up, and then we're usually not coherent for another hour or two. Yeah, at least. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, Joe, you might have to keep us in check. <laughs> I'm, I'm not batting a 1,000 today. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, ho- hopefully uh, this doesn't just turn into senseless ramblings, but uh, we're going to try to get through... Some of our review on all three of our duck seasons, some of the some of the highs and maybe some lows, depending on how how we want to go with it. But uh, I want to start off with my season and field goose hunting. Uh, I hit on it a little bit when I was talking with Brian, but that was early in the season. Um, so my season this year was kind of give and take. Um, like I said before, I knew in the spring that the goose season this fall was going to be questionable at best. Uh, And that definitely rang true. So I know we got a lot of rain over here in the spring. The summer we got rain hit and miss and dried out. And then uh, back in the fall we got some major storms. And I don't – actually, I don't think I told you guys. Last – this past week, a couple days ago, with all the storm surges and everything we've had, uh, it eroded away the bluffs and beaches along the Lake Michigan Lakeshore. Jeez. Yeah, so we had two major storms. The first oh. one took out, like, people's stairways down and all that stuff, and they actually found septic tanks on the beach. There's <laughs> there's an old shipwreck that nobody knew was around. They found it uncovered an old shipwreck. That's uh, insane. Yeah. Yeah, so then there was another one that hit us, like, couple weeks later or three weeks later something like that that got into eroding the beaches and bluffs away more and last week a house actually fell off a bluff (laughs) oh my gosh so yeah an entire like cabin house type thing is now from probably two to three hundred feet up in the air down on the lake shore unreal you saw oh, the stuff yeah. about Superior this year too with that storm, didn't you? With the the seawall, the sea tower. No, no. Oh yeah, I saw a picture of that. Yeah, that is pretty sad, actually. Yeah, it's gnarly weather up there for sure. Yeah, this this weather has definitely been very odd this year, and it seems like it's every year we're saying that now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, back to goose hunting. The spring, I knew it was going to be tough in the fall because of the way. The farmers couldn't get in their fields. 
Uh, the fields I hunted, they actually, some of them, they couldn't even plant corn because it was so late. They had to plant uh, sorghum. Mm. Wow. So I've never seen sorghum. It looks just like corn, just doesn't have the cobs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, so it's a bit different. And that's what a majority of the fields I have access to were planted to this year. Maybe your pheasant so, population is going to boom. Yeah. We'll see. Out of the like one or two that runs around here, yeah. maybe. I don't know. It may double. <laughs> Think yeah, of that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah that'd be three great. Three or four Chinese chickens <laughs> running around. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so for my early season and normal season, late season, I'd say this is a pretty good year. I uh, didn't have the numbers that I would have liked, but um, as far as a season goes, it's probably one of the betters I've had with the people I've come across, the situations I've gotten in. Um, I was actually, I was kind of recounting in my head. So a couple years ago, I was able to get a young guy out that I was working with for the first time. He's when I moved back to Michigan in 17, him and I started talking. He's like, oh, you're into duck hunting? Man, I'd love to get out. And so I was able to take him out opening morning. He and I hunted a few times through the season, quite a few actually. And then the next season we hunted a few times. This I, this season we didn't get out once. I was kind of bummed out, but he more or less was trying to get his brothers out for the first time. So it was really cool being able to see that transition from um, him not knowing anything to actually taking guys out for the first time this year. That was cool. Over the course of two, three years. So, yeah, that was awesome. So that left me, like I proposed in the last one, like uh, do I find somebody new or do I try to keep learning the area better? Because like I've told you guys before, this is all new world for duck hunting for me yeah um but i was fortunate enough to actually make it out and do both i think if i count back i got four guys out for their first time goose hunting this year which was which was pretty neat and one of them was uh younger i think he's like 12 so that was awesome um i consider myself lucky to be able to you know know enough and take guys out for their first time so it's pretty cool um, so field hunting geese, like I said, give and take, we had some pretty good, there's a lot of birds still in the area. It was just access to try and get to them. Um, I remember scouting this one field and there's at least, and I say many, that's for Michigan. So just so you, everybody listening know, I'm, I'm in Michigan on the west side, lower peninsula. So when I say a lot of birds, I mean like six, 700 birds. And I know people <laughs> People out in the, the western, you know, Kansas, all at like six or seven, they probably scoff at. But <laughs> for us, that's a lot. Um, so I was able to get on a good hunt there a few times with that many birds in the area. Um, and a majority of them actually coming to the fields. That sounds that we, good. That we wanted to be in, yeah. Yeah, I'd say probably the most we hunted in a field that I knew that they were going to go to was probably 500 plus. So nice. that's a good feeling to have. Yeah. And they, and they didn't act like geese. They actually came in. <laughs> I, I, I've had hunts before where I've scouted for like three, four days in a row, hammer in the same spot, same field. I'm like, yes, going to be a great hunt. Go out, 
and then they bomb into a field neighboring the one we were in yep, for no yep. reason. Not because they saw us, not because we spooked them. They never flared. They never even showed interest in the field when you watched them coming across. Uh, didn't have any of that this year, so that was good. Uh, learned some things on decoy setup, so that was great. Um, when I was scouting, it looked like Canada geese were coming in, flying over top, kind of landing over top. So, you know, I've heard people say that Canada's don't like to land over top themselves. Watching them the way they'd come in and land basically wherever they could, I kind of didn't believe that. And after a few hunts and watching them not come in over our decoys, now I'm starting to think that's true. So, yep. yeah. yeah. Do you do you guys? I don't know how much either one of you field goose hunt. Do you have any kind of thought on that process? I don't do it enough to say anything about it, really. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. my limited experience because I would prefer to hunt over water um, because it's yeah. waterfowl we're going after, not field fowl. <laughs> uh, sure, field fowl sure. for those Chinese chickens that Joe was talking about earlier. <laughs> yeah. But um, look at Chad taking digs. Yeah. Chad's, a, Chad, <laughs> Chad's, ki- Chad's kind of a purist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I've I've done it in limited amounts but i would probably glean more of my experience when i was in saskatchewan last year with um a guy who works for du up there um and he also um used to run a guiding outfit up there as well um and it was primarily for snows and cranes and um but also for lessers and canadas as well but yeah, it's kind of unique with those setups is uh, for snow goose hunting, they they set all the decoys behind the layouts um, and you're amongst all the decoys as well um, with the intent that uh, snows are extremely competitive when it comes to feeding that they will jump over uh, those already in the field. Whereas with um, specs in Canada's and even cacklers too, um, they usually set those out still in front of the layouts. Um, for some reason, um, those types of geese just aren't as competitive. Um, yeah. And they prefer to have a a, a landing zone that's kind of designated, whereas right. it's kind of wide open with snows. They'll just literally hover over the top of you. Um, <laughs> it, it, that's a crazy, and that's a completely different type of hunt altogether. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's been my experiences for the most part, Canada's don't land over the top of you, which um, I guess I can just even share a little bit about my early season because, surprise, surprise, um, my early season hunt was actually won. Uh, well, I the hunt that I'd won on was actually won by uh, my buddy Quinn, um, which Joe likes to call him. What now? Huckleberry Quinn. Huckleberry Quinn. Um, <laughs> Quinn it's very is, suiting. If, yeah. if anybody knows Quinn, it's very suiting. I'm going to try and get him on this podcast someday. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't know be, if we got That'll be a journey. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, his brother won a guided hunt uh, through a Delta waterfall banquet, and it's just a unique, weird setup. We go to this guy's house, which is a gorgeous house, um, in a bay on a lake and the sun comes up well, I ask him, all right, well, where are we going? He's like, oh, we're just going to walk down the lawn and hunt from the water. It's like, what? 
<laughs> so weird. So uh, we legally were the proper distance away from any houses and um, residences and roads and stuff like that. Um, but it was just weird that they set us up in layout blinds, um, which you are basically, for those of you who may not know what a layout blind is, you're basically um, laying down on your back um, with like this little tent covering over the top of you that's camouflaged to hide your pattern or your silhouette. Um, so we're in these layout blinds on the edge of the water with field decoys behind us and no water decoys in front of us. Yeah. Um, which is, again, it's so strange that they had it set up like that and actually was kind of frustrated me because um, we did shoot some birds, but we lost three birds um, due to the fact that we, well, not we, but our guide, um, didn't have his boat ready to chase down any cripples. And went, as you guys know, with geese, if you cripple a goose or you wing a goose, they're very much alive and very difficult to kill on the water. Oh, yeah. and so having a, a boat ready um, right. is absolutely essential. And he was just so um, nonchalant about it. Um, I even asked if I should wear my waders. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. I've got my waders. And it's like, Dude, you're not even wearing waders right now. Like, what yeah. is going on <laughs> with this yeah. operation? So yeah. it 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 frustrated me enough that we lost three birds because of his own laziness. Um, right. And me, well, with anyone, if you're in a guided situation and your guide is not doing the necessary protocol for um, chasing down game um, that may be wounded... Um, we got a problem. Um, and that's okay to have those conversations in the field saying, Hey man, like what, right. what's going on here? Like, this isn't cool. Um, and refusing to pay I, that might be a conversation to have too, but maybe I'm just starting to yeah. get a little too feisty right now. So <laughs> I'll, uh, Hey, what do you have in your coffee this morning? <laughs> Some mean whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Holy smokes. Just, Joe, I'm, I know you had a good, uh, well, I don't, I wouldn't, well, I'll say yeah, it was, good. It was good. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm jealous was... because you were able to get your kid out and your brother. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah. So our early season <clears throat> opening day, we were up at the cabin for Labor Day weekend and my little brother had been asking me to come out on this hunt with him and they were getting a guide and everything and I wasn't going to do it. I didn't even bring a gun up. I didn't bring any of my stuff up or anything. And, um, luckily my brother always brings a couple. <laughs> so yeah. he, he, we, uh, no brownings, he, right? No, no brownings. Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> uh, but we had, uh, we had, uh, he had mentioned that he was bringing his kid out. And when he mentioned that, I was like, well, then I could go because I was leaving for Idaho the next week for elk hunting and I didn't want to, I wanted to spend time with my family when I was up there. But, uh, so when I found out I could bring my kid along, I decided to go. So we went out, it was, uh, both my brothers, my older brother, my younger brother and my dad and my kid, my younger brother's kid. And then a friend of ours, Dan, um, that went out with this guide service. We got set up in the field and it was a gorgeous spot. It, you could hear geese on the roost. It was just a perfect setup. Um, we are hunting out of panel blinds. And as it started to get light, we geese started to get up, and they'd fly over, and they'd give us a look and turn. And you could see out in the field there was a dark line, and it was like a circle. And I looked at my little brother, and I was like, 
I wonder what that is. It looks like something dragged through the field. And the guides are talking about how the birds have been out there for two weeks. They've been watching them anywhere from 150 to 500 birds hitting this corner wow. and then walking their way up the field feeding. Good numbers, is, though. Well, yeah, this is up in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, yeah. so it's a good goose area. All the birds that were coming to us that morning were flaring and... Then the guides, somebody mentioned the dark line to the guides. They were on the far end of the panel blind. And the guides started laughing. And I said, yeah, whatever the guide's name was. I uh, forgot to lift the trailer jack when they were turning the trailer around this morning. Oh. And I looked at my little brother and I was like, well, that's going to ruin our hunt. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> if these geese have been here for two weeks using this field and all of a sudden they show up one day and all of a sudden there's a dark circle right where they were landing, yeah, it's going to stand out. And the guides, the, the thing that made me frustrated about it is the guides didn't bother to get out there and stomp it down or rough up Try the area it. around it or anything. They just left it. And, and so we ended up getting birds. Uh, I think we, we ended up killing four birds out of 12 guys. And wow. on a guided hunt, that's just not. That's not what it should be. Especially early yeah. season. Yeah. But yeah, no kidding. We were able to bring our kids out. We had my dad out there. You know, all in all, it was an awesome experience and it was super yeah. fun and probably my favorite hunt of the year, even though we you know, the issue with the guides. But right. that's guides. I mean, I've in my experience it's less than fifty percent of the time they going with a guide is worth it. But I get it, especially if you're hunting new areas or like field hunting for me, I don't have the equipment for it. It's cheaper for me to go on a guide hunt a couple times a year than it is to get all the equipment for it. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're not wrong there. No, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. It's, I go into a guide hunt knowing that there's a good chance that I could, that I'd probably do better on my own if I knew the area. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's. I guess you look at it as a, a learning opportunity of yeah. what not to do. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. that other fifty percent is this is what you should do. It's right. like paying paying to go to school where they yeah. tell you what. Yeah, you no do. kidding. <laughs> I don't have any guide experience, so I can't really weigh in on that. Yeah. Um, so far. Sounds like I don't need to go on a guided hunt. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of were slightly guided, even though you didn't pay for it. But uh, you had a recent uh, endeavor on Lake Michigan. I did. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, so through the course of my field hunting, I can't say waterfowl now, Chad. So thank you for ruining <laughs> that for me. <laughs> yeah, so through the course of my season... Um, I met a guy that actually, that's primarily what he does is sea ducks out on Lake Michigan. Um, he'll actually, he'll come into inland lakes and he'll do layout diver hunts and stuff like that on inland lakes too. But his big desire is to be out on Lake Michigan. And he, he's told me some of the water they've been on and I, the setup he has, I'm sure can handle it, but I cannot believe because I, I grew up on the water. I've, I've had boats my whole life. So yeah. You know, I've, I've been in water that's 12 to 13 footers. It's not fun, and it's actually quite terrifying. <laughs> but yep. We were talking about goose hunting, and we were talking about duck hunting, and he's like, hey, I got this layout set up. If You know, I've, you got me out here on some geese, and uh, if you want to, you know, we can go out for layout. I was like, man, actually, 
since I've moved back from Michigan, that's one of my things that I just, I don't want to get into it because that's a whole different world of cost. Yeah. Um, you're talking about like a tender boat, which to get a good tender boat, anybody that knows anything about like banks is the name. You don't mm-hmm. have to have a banks. You can get away with just like a normal center console 20. You, I don't think you'd want to go less than 21 foot no. out here just because I mean, like, since I'm actually sitting at the lakeshore right now, um, and since we've started recording, it's gone from pretty calm to probably one to twos. Wow. Um, Yeah, so (laughs) the wind's starting to pick up, things are starting to move. So in the course of an hour or two hours out here, you can go from dead flat to four-footers. Yeah. And it can be gradual or it can be all of a sudden storms come across from Wisconsin and it is scary. Um, so he's got a, a great setup. He's got a 23 foot center console. Um, he's got UFO. I think that's like the brand. That's what he calls them. I'm guessing yep. that's the brand UFO brand layout boats. Yeah. He's got two single man layout boats, which, um, those, if anybody knows or doesn't know, if you think of like a sheet of plywood, that's kind of the structure of them. They're almost as wide as they are long. Um, I would guess, Chad, what do you, because th- I think you've done layout hunting, haven't you? Yes. Yep. Uh, probably not to your level, but um, I just did it with uh, one of my buddies, Rob, who you've met. Um, he actually built his own. But his is a little bit smaller, I think, than those UFOs, which um, they literally look like a kind of like a flying saucer with a cockpit in the middle uh, where you lay down in. For those of you uh, people that don't know what the looks of a a layout boat is, but and that kind of is the reason also why you have a bigger tender boat, which. If you want to describe what the tender boat does, um, Jeff, but you just need more space because you're having to carry a one of these layout boats on top of. Um, usually, they'll stack them on top of the boat when you're driving out yeah. there. So when you're driving in four foot rollers on Lake Michigan, you need to have something with some heft to be able to handle the waves, but also the weight um, yep. for stability's sake. It's just you you'd be stupid not to get something larger for a tender boat but oh yeah yeah so like i was saying he's got a 23 foot aluminum um deep deep v this thing is made to handle bigger water so yep. it's it's an amazing boat um he actually instead of like you were saying a lot of guys they'll build a structure where they can stack them on the bow mm-hmm. uh he actually lays his uh he'll he'll lift them up over the gunnel the side of the boat and he lays them inside, so they're kind of um, like the left side is laying down on the floor, and sure. the right side is up in the air. So they're yep. matched with the gunnel. So he'll put one on one side and one on the other. And these boats, they're incredible. I think he said they weigh like 130 pounds a piece, which layout boats, you're talking a couple hundred pounds, 300 sometimes if right. you buy. Because they're, they're made of all kinds of different stuff. Aluminum, fiberglass, homemade wood ones. Um, another one that people use is that uh, plastic, kind of like a kayak plastic. I yep. can't remember mm-hmm. what that's called. Injection molding plastic or whatever. Um, but so he's got those UFOs are plastic, so they're nice, light. They're easy to get in and out. And he actually made himself like a step rail guard 
for those, so it makes it easy to pull them in and out. Oh, and then nice. it's also easy to get in and out of the boat. So yeah. it's it can get pretty sketchy out here, especially if you're in bigger water, getting right. in and out yep. of the layout boat. Um, so I'll, um, back to the layout a little bit. I'll get to the tender, but back to the layout a little bit. Like we talked about with layout goose hunting, it's kind of the same structure as that. If you think about like an old school lawn chair, that you're like down on the ground, you can raise the back up a little bit so you get that little bit of raise. Mm -hmm. um, but you're essentially trying to get down as low to the water as you can. And you're not necessarily hiding because you don't have anything to pull over you. Um, but so you're just kind of an open cockpit and then you're able to set up and take the shot when you need to. Yeah. And so hopefully when you take the shot, there's a bird for the tender boat to go retrieve. So the guy in the tender boat, he's kind of watching, um, checking the area out. And also his job is to basically, once you shoot a bird, be the retriever. Uh, you don't, just like anything else, you don't want to leave dead birds in the water. Uh, one thing is kind of surprising to me, Chad, I don't know if you saw this or knew this or Joe, I, I wouldn't think you would, but, uh, he told me that they have found down birds because of seagulls. No kidding. Yeah. He huh. said uh, they they lost one, couldn't find it for a while, and then they saw seagulls circling. And he's like, I'm going to go check it out. There was the bird. Huh. And then, so it's kind of like uh, the whole, uh, if you wound a deer and uh, you return the next day and there's a bunch of crows cawing yep. in the trees, it's probably where your deer is now. Yep. Kind of the same huh. thing. So he That's actually cool. said uh, he had a mallard that he shot um, when he was dabbler hunting a couple years ago. He couldn't find it, couldn't find it, couldn't get to it. He finally got to it, and he came on a seagull that actually pulled all the breasts out, and the what? bird was just, like, destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my god! I'm like, wow, I can't believe that. Like, I would have never thought. So that's another tip for anybody that ha if they do see duck hunting and don't know that, look for seagulls, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so overall, it was it was an awesome experience. There are three of us out there. Um, we all got a chance to shoot. So we were too shy of our limit and too shy basically because of me. Uh, for the four birds I shot, I went through a box and a half, maybe more, of shells. Um, nice. Yeah, it's a lot of shooting. I, w I was happy. Before I went out, I told myself, I'll be happy if I shoot one. Because I know it's not an easy shot. I've heard no. stories, you know, I've watched videos of guys. And, you know, when we went out, it was pretty calm, but it was still like one foot waves or so. So you're you're moving, rocking back and forth a little bit. Um, yeah, there's definitely a learning curve involved with it where, you know, I bet if you were to hunt it the, the following day with your buddy, I bet you'd been a better shot because you kind of already were – you'd get that swing of things or just know, you know, these waves are going to rock me about, but I can just, I have to learn to be maybe a little bit more fluid with my body. Um, this, yeah, it's a lot more challenging than you think. A lot of people are like, when they look at layout boat hunting videos, well, the birds are coming right in on top of them, which is surprising as you said, cause you're in this circular boat 
um, in the open water and you'd think that, well, birds should be able to see this no problem. And to some right. extent, yeah, but when it comes to sea ducks and divers that you're hunting on that big water, they're usually flying really low to the water, almost like wings yeah. touching the water. So they're not really seeing you except for maybe your head poking up. Um, yeah. But yeah, when it comes to shooting them, they're much faster uh, than a goose coming in in a, a, a field uh, setting. So right. kind of chiming in with the, the layout hunting out of a field. It's just a different shoot altogether. You have way less time um, oh, yeah. to actually get on your birds. Um, so, yeah, I uh, the other aspect, too, with those types of birds is, and you may want to touch on it, too, is just how fluffy uh, they are. They're just... A re- they have so much down in them that they can just take a licking and keep on ticking. So for you to shoot four birds um, and go through a box and half of shells is really not that much of a surprise because you probably <laughs> hit a lot of birds. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, just it didn't have the knockdown power because didn't they... penetrate. It, no. Yeah. It literally bounces right off of them. Yeah. So. Yeah, so the primary birds that we're shooting out here are old squaw or long tail. Um, they did say that there are some white wing scoter that come through, and we actually got the opportunity to see four of them, which was pretty neat. Um, yeah. All these birds are pretty foreign to me. I've seen pictures, you know. I've never, I've never been close to one. Like I said, I've, I've been wanting to do a hunt like this for basically since I moved to Michigan, so three years now. And uh, I've done research, I've looked at pictures, you know, I, I try to educate myself before I go into things like this, but uh, to actually have one in your hand is, it's quite impressive. They're just, they're made totally different than even a, like a normal diver duck. Um, yeah. It's like they're made just for horrendous conditions. Yeah. Which is suiting because that's where they're at, like they're in the ocean. They're out in these horrible storms. Uh, you know, they survive up in the Bering Sea somehow with 50-foot waves and, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's impeccable. So, yeah, when you hold one in your hand, it almost feels fake. Like it almost, because you're used to feeling like a, a mallard or a wood duck or buffalo, you know, some other type of duck. And these things, they just have so much more feathers to them and the structure of them is is different even the structure of the feather is different you know the way they're they're made is just to hold up so yeah for some bb's coming flying at them you know it's amazing that you can knock one down i think even (laughs) so overall sea duck hunting is pretty sweet um yeah, the feather structure compared to what I'm used to is totally different. Um, just overall, great experience, great guys I was able to get out with. Looking forward to next year being able to get out with them again. Hopefully they'll let me back in the boat. But yeah. <laughs> I bet he will. <laughs> yeah. It's fun watching anyone shoot that many shells. I'll oh, just yeah. say that. Oh, um, uh, let me tell you. never miss them. It, they definitely were cracking a lot of jokes. <laughs> but that's what's that's i guess what's so cool that you don't have to go to the uh east coast or west coast um, or alaska or anything um, to enjoy sea duck hunting we have it right in the heart of um, north america Um, yeah so that's what's really cool about this 
yep. um, experience. So I'm glad you're able to get out there and do that. Yeah. You're not going to get the variety that you will around other areas, but that's what's, I think I didn't realize it until after this season, just how great of a waterfowl area I actually live in. Cause I'm able to yeah. hunt moving water. I can hunt small inland lakes. I can hunt big lakes and I can sea duck hunt. So I, I've got essentially everything. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's, I actually live in a better area than I thought I did when I first moved over here. Yeah, for sure. Cause you've got a good variety and you're, you, everything seemed like it stayed open for you to, yeah. um, till late in the season for the most part. Which yeah, this, this season has definitely been warmer than I would like to have had it. I, my buddy, Jeff, I've kind of talked about before. I didn't mention him by name, but this, uh, Jeff with a G, Jeff with a G. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He, he thinks that we had a good migration push. I disagree with him this year, so that's out for debate. Um, I might get in trouble with some other Michigan hunters that think they did, but I didn't really see it. But I also um, just had a kid in the spring, and so my life has kind of been a little different. So I got two now. I think I might have said that before, but anyways, I got a two-and-a-half-year-old girl, and my boy's now eight months so I definitely dedicated a little more time to them this fall than hunting, which I don't have a problem with, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've got an eight month old boy. I know what that's like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. You want to, you want to talk about that at all there, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I can touch on it a little bit. Um, yeah, as, as everybody knows, I did get a pup this, uh, spring, and my plan was to not hunt them at all this year at all on anything. Um, I was just going to kind of work through training and, um, you know, just kind of hold off until next year. But he'd matured pretty fast and matured really well through training and did he did extremely well. And I think that the timing is a little off, um, but it was doable because he hadn't quite – the first time I took him out, I was pheasant hunting and he hadn't quite hit his teenage stage, um, which he has now. I can <laughs> fully admit that he's done for a while. <laughs> <laughs> so yesterday was a rough day, but, yeah. um, yeah, so I took him out pheasant hunting and a couple times and, uh, <laughs> he was, he was able to get his first duck. This is a good reason to always upland hunt well pheasants anyways grouse i guess not so much but pheasants it's always good to upland hunt pheasants with steel if waterfowl is still open or non-toxic um yeah because we flushed up a wood duck and i was able to we were able to i was able to heal night walk them 100 yards flush up the wood duck again shoot it drop it in the creek and night retrieved it for me so that was this first retrieve was a wood duck on a pheasant hunt that is awesome <laughs> and i guess i can chime really quick on a quick anecdote with me is um i was out on the mississippi river uh hunting with some buddies um for the first well the first time with those guys um in the location and um it turned out my buddy dropped me off on an island um in late october um to set up and as we were discussing too we had a ton of water in minnesota um it was flood waters essentially or way high uh, river waters um which was a ripping current but um <clears throat> so he dropped me off 
um, with the decoys um, and then went back to pick up my other buddies because it's just too dangerous to have four guys in a little John boat going upstream yeah. in, in late October. It just, you got to be smart about things. So yeah, yeah, he dropped me off and I was walking around along the shoreline and Woodcock are jumping <laughs> le- up left and right from this little <laughs> tiny island. I was like, awesome. I've got, I've got, I think I had six shot um, in my bag. So I was like, after about an hour or so, I'm going to actually go walk this little island for Woodcock. And yeah. yeah, we I shot two and my buddy shot one too. So nice. it's like you kind of um, make do with nothing because, well, we didn't, we shot two wood ducks. Um, so it was a woody day. But <laughs> yeah. um, we didn't really see much for ducks, but we thankfully, um, you got to pack, if you pack in steel, you you might as well pack something a little bit lighter too yeah. for that opportunity. But also, um, what I want to touch on real quick was always pack blaze orange, um, or like a blaze orange stocking yeah. cap into your blind bag. Um, not only is it amazing for um, having the versatility to hunt upland game, which I've done that with pheasants too, that zip by the blind. And yeah. if it's nine o'clock and they zip by the blind, I'm going to watch where they land, throw on my stocking cap, and walk over there and, and shoot them. <laughs> um, it's happened with grouse, too. But um, it's also a really good safety um, aspect, too. So, like, I'm thinking about um, with you, Jeff, out on Lake Michigan, having some sort of uh, blaze is only going to help um, in case, you know, something were to go awry, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah, quick anecdote. Super, it's, it's kind of cool that, you can go hunting and you can shoot other game. Yeah. Um, right. And that's the power of, I guess, converting over to a non-tox. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, loads, I but. mean, uh, Jamie Carlson did a, a seminar a couple of years ago that I went to on small game hunting and he talked about squirrel hunting in October and he, he said he's, he's shot. I, I don't remember what he said, but it was a lot, a lot of wood ducks on squirrel hunts in October. <laughs> So okay. Yeah, yeah. I always brought steel with. I always hunted Oak Islands. Yeah. You're gonna hit wood ducks right. too. So yeah, yeah. So you'd be getting wood ducks, grouse, and squirrel all on one little trip some yeah. days. It's like, geez. But yeah, so um we were able to do that, which was really cool. And then from there I started moving them towards upland just because I knew I wasn't gonna waterfall hunt with them. It's just at that point it was already getting pretty cold and yeah. yeah, so I wanted to keep him away from that. But on on pheasants, he did pretty phenomenal this year. Um, he was able to get multiple wild birds as well as we've done a few game farm trips. And just to get him keyed into what he's looking for and um, get him excited about birds. And, and man, he's, he's excited about birds. He's a little too excited right now, so I'm learning <laughs> how to try to harness that. But, um, I mean, yesterday he made... I took him to the game farm just because I was up in the area really quick and just got a few birds, and he made a retrieve on a crippled hen that was 150 yards down across a creek through crusty snow, and just a it was a long haul for him, and he made it and came back with his tail wagon. So yeah. he's wow. he's doing really well. He's I'm excited for the springtime um, to try to get him out and do some actual like testing training with him and oh. i'm gonna test him next summer and see where we can take him so it's been that'll super be exciting fun. yeah no kidding yeah i didn't know you're yeah, gonna try to do now. that joe yeah i uh i didn't do it with my last dog um 
with Hank and it was something that I regretted later on in life. So I want to make sure that my thing is, is give them every opportunity to shine, take them as far as they can possibly go and, you know, let them, let them do what they can do rather than, I feel like a lot of dog owners end up holding their dogs back by not pushing for that kind of stuff. And I don't want to do that to mine. So, yeah. So I'm excited. It should be, should be a fun, fun summer of, trying to get past a lot of that stuff and work through some other stuff and get him ready for next year. And I'm excited to see him in the blind next year because he's already steadied a shot, um, awesome. you know, during training. So it should be should be interesting. So we'll see what happens when he's in the duck blind, though. That, a lot of changes real quick when you put him in a duck it, blind. So. It does, but <laughs> I think you, you're, you hit exactly on it. It's almost like um, my whole soccer mom mentality of uh, you – you try and well, I guess nowadays, parents are bringing their kids or they're they're in sports all year. Yeah, um, and that's kind of the thing with our hunting dogs is, well, they only hunt for two months out of the year, and then what's the rest of the ten months? Yeah, until, right. Um, so I think entering in those tests, it's it's a goal. It's almost like when you sign up for an ultra. Um, it get, it's a goal for you to get in shape. Yeah, uh, people sign up for marathons to essentially get in shape yeah. and stay in shape. Yeah. Um, and the same is going to be true with you. You put your money where your mouth is, you're going to have a goal. Yeah. Um, and it's only going to get make you better. It's going to make night better. Yeah. Um, and you get a, a ton of, le- you learn a lot yeah. by watching other people succeed and fail at those tests. And they provide an ample amount of um, pointers too, if you just yeah, talk it over with them. I think my biggest thing for it that I'm looking forward to is the socialization aspect of it. Yeah. Getting them around more and more dogs, getting them around more and more people, getting them around more and more noises, more and more bird sense, all that stuff to get them. Because I think with a puppy, that's the hardest part is getting them to a point where they're under control in exciting situations like that is almost impossible. And the right. only way to get past it is by keep exposing them, keep exposing yep. them, keep it. You yeah. can do obedience and everything, but... Like I said, once they get into a duck blind, it's a whole new thing. There's going to be it's, – it's one of those experiences that it takes time. And I know – I mean, with Hank, my first hunt with him was a youth hunt, and I would – I'm going to do the same thing with Knight. So it's just me, no gun, controlling the dog with one or two people that are actually shooting and and another adult. And that's going to be how he'll get introduced to the actual duck blind. But, yeah, yeah it's it's one of those things It takes time and – yeah. Well, and I'll even chime in and throw myself under the bus too. Um, yeah, uh, actual hunting applications and especially uh, the blind aspect, duck blind aspect is completely different. Um, and it still is different versus the hunt test. Um, yeah. But I'll throw myself again under the bus by saying I was so removed mentally um, on how I trained Jace how I ran her through um, hunt tests, um, it, it's it's a stupid epiphany that came to me halfway through the season about, okay, when I take her out to um, the soccer field just to um, go after blind retrieves or uh, work on casting or anything like that, any sort of training, where is Jace? She's always at my side. And when I release her or send her, I send her from my side. I don't know why um, I did this, but for all these years, she's now six, all these years before that, 
I would essentially just call her name, assuming that she saw what bird dropped and which one to retrieve, especially if there's multiple. So she's looking back at me all confused um, and swimming around in the decoys, not knowing which one to get. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm such an idiot. Why don't I just line her up like I do in any other application that we've been doing for 10 months? And as soon as I started doing that, she had no problem with yeah. marking. And I, cause I've said, I, I don't think she's a really good marker. I still don't think she's as good of a marker as most dogs. But if I can line her up, like that's 90% of the battle right there. It's, I just, and it's funny because that's so like stupid. That's, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> it's, it's one of those basic fundamentals that we look over. Yeah. That people forget about. And I, in the, my initial round with, I'm running the CGA program, uh, Cornerstone Gun Dog Academy program with Knight. And my official, initial run through it, I lined them, did the lining drills, but I didn't really hit hard on it. Um, but now I'm going back through now that I'm coming into the off season I, and I have time, I can go through and do some of these stuff. And with the snow in Minnesota and my driveway, it's beautiful. Cause I can actually set up hundred yard lining drills right in my driveway. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so I started going back to it, but it's one of those things that like, I had a down bird this year that I tried to line night on just to do it. And it could tell that I Instantly, I could tell that I did not spend enough time onlining with them. So yeah. it's and it's a basic fundamental, and it's one of the ones that they want you to hit hard on. But I think a lot of people overlook it because they they depend on their dog to actually mark the bird, yeah. and that's where hunt tests are huge. Yeah, because the blind retrieve is one of the key parts of hunt tests. Right. So yeah, it's um, it's fun. It's interesting <laughs> and <Yeah>. frustrating. <laughs> it is. It is, and you'll learn that dogs will be dogs too. Yeah. They just oh, have yeah. their days. And they have their days in the the blind and in the field too, just like we yeah. do. And so we can't get pissed off at them yeah. um, because we can easily point the finger right back at us yeah. for how stupid we've been. And I, I'll even chime in too, um, just this past season with the hunts that I've been doing with capable partners now that I was a, a coordinator down <clears throat> at one of our locations um, of just understanding the logistics behind a hunt. Um, these, these hunters are disabled. Um, so they're extremely limited as far as what they can shoot, um, as far as their mobility. Um, they can't really swing as, as well as a person that's more, as we call able body. Um, so getting them access, getting them into shooting situations where they can succeed was an even greater uh, learning extent for me. But this was the first year where we actually utilized boats um, in the equation where normally we just hunt from land. Um, this time we actually had full access to a lake that we had. Um, but with that, um, it was our own access, which is awesome because um, we didn't have other competition with other hunters, which is a rare thing to have. Um, but in the other element, it's... It also can be just as challenging because you do have to wake up, you know, hours before, you know, and get them set up and getting them into a boat alone. Um, one would think with us, well, getting into a boat is just taking another two steps and we're in there. And so you're in a boat in what, a second? Whereas yeah. opposed to <clears throat> disabled hunters, you're having to um, wheel them up to the boat hope that the uh, the shoreline is not muddy or mucky. Um, 
and being able to pick them up um, is no tall task either. That's no, why they're, I, they're full grown men. It's not. Yeah. 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 Not, that's why yeah. hats off to all you nurses out there um, and people that lift uh, people. That It can be a lifting a ton of bricks sometimes. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, logistically just getting someone in a boat um, can take 15, 20 minutes. And so adding that to your clock when setting up um, was definitely a learning experience for me, but completely rewarding. And Joe, if you want to kind of, I guess this is your first introduction to Capable Partners, if you want to chime yeah. in on that. Yeah. Um, as Chad said, this is my first year with it. it it's been pretty pretty interesting and pretty cool. Um, as Chad said, it takes a lot of time to set up and tear down. I I think on average, I figured for the spot that Chad's talking about, I kind of did the math on it one day and it's about an hour and a half to set up and an hour and a half to tear down. And you're talking about five able bodies and three disabled members. Like it's, it's, it takes an army and, um, it's quite the ordeal, but you're hunting areas that other people aren't hunting. So you're not fighting traffic. You're not fighting other people. And so in the end, the amount of time you spend setting up is time you would have been spending just sitting in your boat waiting for it to get light out because you're going to get to your spot two hours early in order to beat the crowds or whatever it is. Um, So in the end, it's no extra time. It's a little extra effort, um, a little more nerve wracking, putting a, a handicapped person into a boat on a moving creek and walking them down the creek and hoping nothing goes wrong. Um, there's a lot more moving parts to it, as Chad said, and on his end even more. But it's it is rewarding. It's super fun. The guys are a blast. I haven't met a single one that irked me in one little bit. They were all super fun. I, I, you know, it's it's just like hunting with your. Once you get set up, it's essentially just like hunting with your buddies. The only thing is, if somebody needs to retrieve a duck or help a dog or something like that, it's going to be you or one of the other able bodies. But to be honest, half my buddies are lazy as hell, so it's the same thing. <laughs> so, but uh, no, but it's it's been super fun. Um, something I'll stick to uh, as long as I can, and I know I know. There's going to be some people that are close to me that are going to end up being the disabled people eventually, and I so I'm going to stick through it and and make sure that I'm there when they get to that point, so I can take them out as well. So um, I know we've talked about it a little bit before too. I think it's an awesome opportunity for youth as well mm-hmm. to get youth involved. Um, I know I'm looking forward to the day I can take my boys out there. Um, it's yeah, it's definitely a very rewarding experience seeing people. Um, that haven't been out duck hunting in over a decade get out and have their first opportunity because of a group like Capable Partners is pretty awesome, and it's cool to be a part of it. Um, yeah, what was that hunt that you – I took out a guy as an old Finlander from up north uh, Minnesota. He hadn't been out in – he hadn't been out duck hunting, and I think it was like 15 years or something like that, wow. 12 or 15 wow. years. and. Um, yeah, and I get to take them out, and the morning I took them out, it was probably the best sunrise of the year. It was a pretty awesome sunrise, and just seeing his face see that was pretty cool because he hadn't he hadn't been out that early in the morning in over a decade just because he hasn't been able to, you know. Right. And he, 
you know, he's, he's a, like I said, a Northern Minnesota and you love fishing and all that stuff, but now he can't do all that without the help of other people like capable partners. So to get him out, to get him to see the show of the ducks flying, the ducks working geese, you know, all that stuff. And just to be able to look over at him every once in a while and see that he's just taking it all in. He wasn't listening <laughs> to our conversation at all. He was taking it all in. It was That's, pretty cool to see. So. Yeah, that alone right there is yeah. just something you, until you experience those hunts or go on those types of hunts, you really just, you don't, you lose that perspective yeah. of like, right. we're essentially guiding. Yeah. We're taking the role as a guide. And so um, a, a lot of the guys will come up to me after the hunt and it was like, you know, thank you for putting this on. It's like, uh, you don't need to thank me. Yeah. I, this alone is, is worth it to me, yeah. but I mean, I would, I'm going to do my, my best as a person, if I'm going to hunt a public land spot, yeah. um, a competing against someone, but why wouldn't I do the same, um, and give my all for you, yeah. um, so you can shoot because there could be a day where I may get disabled. Um, yeah. and I sure as heck would want someone to put everything they have into yeah. it as well. Um, right. but kind of want to chime too, um, uh, that those of you who, um, you know, maybe in a different state, if you're in Minnesota, capable partners is a Minnesota based organization, but there are, uh, other organizations across the U S, um, where <clears throat> if you're disabled, you can definitely, uh, get plugged in, um, because it's a, a really good opportunity for you to get out fishing, hunting, um, or just even four wheeling. We have a four wheeling outing as well. Um, oh, really? but you're, it's not limited to just veterans. And I know there are a lot of veteran organizations out there, which are awesome. I'm really happy that there are. Um, uh, but those of us who may not be a veteran, uh, we may be even more limited as far as our opportunities. Um, so I just kind of want to chime in that there are opportunities, um, for all of us. Um, we just got to do a little digging. And if there isn't something in your state, there surely will be one, uh, some in other states. So if you're looking to make a trip up to Minnesota or over to Minnesota or down to Minnesota, um, I mean, definitely reach out to, to us and we will get you plugged in because we have some insane hunts, um, especially in November. We had a, I took out a guy who had a boom, um, which is a big arm with weights on the back of it to counterbalance his gun. Uh, and he had a bite trigger um, because he can't physically pull a trigger with his fingers. Wow. Um, so it's just really cool. And I, we got him into shooting golden eyes and um, mallards and stuff like that. So it's just super fun. And I think they went through, Jeff, at least a box, if not a box <laughs> and a half of shells too. And that's yeah. where it's like... You can joke around with them and, and give them a hard time too, because it's like, they're having the time of their life. Um, just yeah. kind of like what your buddies were doing with you. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, all, all good, way worth it. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's really awesome. Um, it's cool to be able to talk about that, that organization and kind of your guys' experience. I was fortunate enough when I was over for the project we did in and I got out with you and Brian, Chad, to uh, to uh, do some youth hunt out there. Yep. And just even taking youth. I love taking youth out. It's fun. Yeah. Especially youth that aren't, because they're not, they're, I want to say, <laughs> they're city kids, so they're not used to being out in that kind of an area and even hunting. 
And I think, Chad, weren't you and I talking to one of them? And uh, they were, we said, what were your friends doing this weekend? And they said, you know, the usual like video games or whatever. And, yep. and then when they told them what they were doing, they're, all their friends were like, holy cow, you're doing what? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> uh, that was kind of cool to talk to them about that too. So even as kids, and they were real appreciative. And yeah, I, I look forward to that opportunity and just remembering it. And yeah, I'm definitely, because of that, I'm definitely... I need to talk around and see if there's something like that going on here, which I'm sure there is. I think I've heard wind of some things like that that used to happen, but I want to see if something like that's still going on here. Well, yeah, I think we got pretty much covered what we wanted to get over today. Yeah. We made it over the hump. Yeah. Hey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to 2020. Now we get to look forward to next season. Well, actually, I still have some season left. Believe it or not, I have a late goose season coming up. <laughs> Sweet. Nice. At this point, nothing's freezing over, so we're. I'm hoping that I can at least get a couple more shoots in, get some more people out on some birds. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that'll be good. But as far as a 2019 season, overall good for me. How about you guys? Yeah, it was good for me. Yeah. Yep, it was, it was great. So lots to learn. Um, and lots to learn, I get especially looking forward. So really looking forward to just thankfully I'm, I'm close to Joe now and I can see how night is going to be progressing. Yeah. Next yeah. Year. That's what I'm really looking forward to. So, no, yeah, that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to hear more about in the spring when you start doing trials with them and stuff. Yeah. Maybe he'll wreck that's, your gun again this year. That's going to be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Just a real quick story. <laughs> <laughs> last fall jeff was in town for a hunt and he had his gun leaning against the wall and night ran by and knocked it over and it landed on its rib on the threshold of the door yeah bent the rib <laughs> i was God. able to straighten it out thankfully good good i, I figured out I, I would be able to but i was real nervous i was like i hope this I was doesn't too. break i felt bad <laughs> yeah it's a hunting gun it's made for crap like that. <laughs> yeah. It's to be Maybe expected. Maybe that's why you went through a box and a half on that. Those yeah, I could, yeah, I can blame it. <laughs> My barrel's bent a little bit now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, but, happy New Year's, everyone. Yeah, happy, happy New, Year, New everyone. Year. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful start to your year. The Contact Outdoors crew would like to send out a sincere thank you to all of our listeners. The Backcountry Dreaming Podcast is brought to you by Contact Outdoors and directed by Brian Holberg. Original music and audio production by Dakota Rankin. Connect with us online. Links to our website, Instagram, and Facebook can be found in the show notes.